There are a lot of mental health experts out there that'll give you their list of tips that they think will help. The problem is they're based on their perception of what is right and wrong. At University Elite, we do something different. We treat our patients using sound psychological, neurological, and physiological science. We know what works and what doesn't. We don't get confused with what's right versus wrong. While others continue to struggle with these tips that they've received, we help people gain the long-term happiness and well-being with our approach. Welcome to the University Elite Podcast, where you learn the why behind human behavior and how to live a truly happy life. Now, your host is a combat-proven veteran, physician, master psychotherapist, diet expert, trauma authority, and someone who has everyday common sense, Dr. Hans Watson. Hi guys, and welcome back to Mental Health and the Good Life. Today we're gonna teach you how to live a good life so that you can have some major ways that can help to overcome anxiety, overcome a depression, and make it less likely that you're going to enter a relationship with somebody who is a narcissist. In fact, this has also helped me with many patients who struggled with the thought of using suicide as a way to try to escape their problems. And this has been a major key in them being able to turn that around so that they could enjoy life. And so let's jump right in and help you guys to understand another key to living the good life. And you'll soon be able to see many people don't realize they're committing the same error without even knowing it. So let's jump right into that. Uh, the, this, this topic came to me when I saw a referral from one uh, therapist asking for somebody that could pick up a patient. And what they said was, um, I have a patient who is struggling with anxiety, depression, some suicidal thoughts, and they just got out of a relationship with a narcissistic person. When we inquired a little deeper, it turns out this person was struggling with the exact thing that we're going to be talking about today. And it's amazing to me that we have this. We all, when I tell you what it is, you're going to realize everybody in society has been talking about this is a problem. We should do it. And then we engage in the very behavior that we just identified is a problem. And so, Without that, without uh, having any more delay, let's, let's briefly mention what that problem is. That problem is something that is called implied permission. Now, implied permission is something that becomes part of a social norm. We have all these written and unwritten social norms in our lives. And the, and the unwritten ones, oftentimes, we try to ignore because the unwritten ones are supposed to be assumed to be so obvious that you shouldn't have to say them. However, what are we seeing today? We are having to say them because even though it should be obvious to all of us, there are many of us who are jumping in and committing this error without even realizing how damaging it is. And so with that being said, what is implied permission? Implied permission is something that says, if you bring up a topic of conversation with somebody, you now have given them permission to respond back with criticism or critical thinking, with a contrary view that you may not agree with, that may not agree with your opinion. In other words, you open it up for discussion from different viewpoints. And so this implied Implied uh, permission is actually part of what healthy relationships look like. 
If you bring up a topic to me, you are giving me permission to say, I will let you present it, even if your viewpoint is something completely different than mine, I'm going to accept and listen to that as part of a healthy relationship. If I'm not willing to hear another viewpoint, I then have an obligation to not give you that implied permission, and that means I'm not allowed to bring that topic up. And so we see that this is necessary in order to maintain social connections. It makes it predictable for those around us to know what they can and can't talk to us about without being in danger of offending us. And we're seeing, as you're going to see, there are many egregious, egregious violations of this long written uh, rule for maintaining healthy relationships. And without it, we can't maintain social relationships. And that is devastating. We learned from Matthew Lieberman in his book, Social, that you require, every single person alive requires social interaction to be healthy. Now, I know some people have survived off in the woods by themselves, but guess what? Mentally, as we study them, they were not healthy. They were just surviving. This isn't to say there will be many people who are introverts who enjoy social, but they also enjoy their breaks just as much, or they enjoy small groups, but they still do it. Even individuals who struggle with autism have a need for social interaction. They just prefer it to be in a certain way that is in line with their expectations. So like it or not, neurologically, every one of us requires social interaction in order to maintain the mental health that we need to be able to experience stress in life without automatically being overwhelmed by anxiety. They, they require us to have that social interaction so the brain can be healthy enough so that we can experience life difficulties without immediately falling into despair and depression so that we aren't going to have to turn to suicide as a way to try to escape our problems. And lastly, that social interaction and being healthy is the very thing that makes it so that we do not attract narcissistic individuals into relationships with us. And so as we look at it, this implied permission, which I'll repeat it one more time, which says, if I bring up a topic, I am giving permission to the people I'm talking to to then present their views, even if they are contrary or might make me uncomfortable because they might be critical of what I'm thinking. I'm giving you permission simply by bringing that topic up. And so that is something called implied permission. And you know, that is a required assumption for us to be able to interact with people and, and be able to maintain healthy relationships. I've seen many people who did not give implied permission and their relationships are generally not going to be healthy at all. They're going to be unhealthy. And you're going to see these people struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, and tend to find themselves in relationship with narcissists. And what will they do? They'll tend to blame the narcissist instead of recognizing that they were the magnet that attracted the narcissist. They were the person that did something so they didn't have social connections. So they were so mentally weakened that they struggled with anxiety and depression and even suicidal thoughts. And so that's what implied permission is. And, and so how are we seeing this today? There are, um, there are many people 
who have been raised in a way that is not healthy. And, and they, they somehow have this, this false belief that is absolutely absurd. And that false belief is, if somebody contradicts me or is critical of something I think, they are just unkind, they are mean, and they are rude, and they should be punished for making me uncomfortable. This is absurd. We used to see this in, we used to see this, in fact, I can tell you anybody who's racist, this is one of their, their underlying unconscious beliefs, and sometimes even conscious. Anybody who has, has, uh, uh, is bigoted or any of these things that are, we all just consider terrible, anybody who is a narcissist or other things, they all have this false, asinine belief that somehow they, people, in order to be calm and kind, are not allowed to contradict them or criticize them. And they'll even say that as if it's a negative. Oh, you're just being critical. Think of it. We use the term, you should use critical thinking. Critical, by definition, means I'm evaluating whether what you say is true and I might give something that is contrary or out of line with what you're thinking. And without critical thinking, you cannot maintain a relationship with others. And so um, what happens is these people will somehow have this belief and they start to get to the point that they believe, if you ever criticize me, if you ever contradict me and make me face something that I don't want to, you're mean, you're cruel, and then they, and that's a false belief. That's nothing more than an asinine belief that, that somehow they're mean and cruel. Just because somebody criticizes you doesn't mean they're mean or cruel. It could mean I have a mistake, a thinking error that needs to be corrected, and I just don't like the feeling of that. And so, we can see some examples of this, and there's some simple ones that came out recently. Um, and and what it is is this is all going to be faced on or based on the same foundation that creates a narcissist. And so, isn't it funny that the very thing that people want to criticize is the very foundation they built themselves on? But it's much too painful for many people to recognize, and so they they put up a wall and they, they deny what's evident to everyone around them, but then they, they themselves will criticize others for the very thing they're doing. Let's give an example of this. Um, and, and the examples that I'll give you in general, and then we'll give you some specific examples from the news recently, um, was if you talk to somebody and they cannot tolerate what is a normal interaction between people and saying, I disagree with you, and here's why, and then have them tolerate that and then say, and we can remain friends in spite of our differences of views. And we look in politics and religion today, this is widespread. That person is incapable, incapable of maintaining a relationship and will be high risk of anxiety, depression, as well as lashing out or, or uh, as well as suicide or, or even attracting a narcissist if they're not willing themselves. And what are the things they will do in order to shut down anybody who, who brings a viewpoint that's contrary? Even though they're the ones who brought up the topic, thus giving implied permission. 
They will completely put up a wall and ignore that they just gave implied permission because they believe the rules do not apply to them in the same way that they do everybody else. And that's a pretty big generality that, that many problems have, but it comes to the rules are for you, not me. And that, that comes to a simple situation where they will lash out in order to shut down the other person from doing it. They will, they will claim that that person is unkind after they've lashed out in order, to, in order to try to justify and not have to face the fact that they're saying, I am too fragile to handle normal human interaction that is healthy. So instead of recognizing that I'm too fragile and weak, I'm going to lash out and pretend like you are the one who's mean because what you said made me uncomfortable. And then they will claim, other people will claim, that's not, the, that's not in line with the religious values. A, a common uh, uh, thing that I hear is, that's not the Christian way to act because they made me feel, un, un, uh, uh, they made me feel uncomfortable or I considered it rude. Okay. It doesn't matter if you're uncomfortable. If you're, in, in the way they said, that's not the Christian thing to do. Guess who made people very uncomfortable? Jesus! Christ! The very person you say you're following! So, just because you're uncomfortable, he was perfect according to the Christian belief. Just because you're uncomfortable does not make it wrong. Otherwise, Jesus is wrong and you eliminate the whole foundation for him being the savior of the world, the Christ, because he was perfect. And so that tells me that is an asinine belief. Or they'll even, they'll even get so bad that their denial comes up and they ignore obvious evidence that everybody else can see. Or even that an expert comes out and says, here's the thing, and then they ignore it as if that. I, you know, I get this a lot with, with people who are doing this because as a psychiatrist, I work with people whose lives are falling apart and I help them to put them back together and become much stronger. Early on, they will try to lecture me on psychotherapy. They will try to lecture me on psychiatric issues. And then they will get terribly offended when I'll say, the science just does not agree with you. That the science is not there. And they, oh, he's so rude, I hate him. These are the people that are gonna give me if they, if they rate me on Google, one star review when we first start. And then once I help them to overcome this and I help them to gain emotional strength, suddenly, they're not needing to lash out anymore. They're not needing to call me names and try to attack me personally. They're now able to see in themselves what they were doing. And they then want to give me five stars on the reviews because they're going, oh, turns out it was me, not you. I was just too fragile to know that. And so as they do it, here's some examples of people who think the rules don't apply to them and and have have done it. In fact, I'll even pause and share a, a recent story that that I heard. There was this um, there was this church activity that uh, a, a bunch of youth were at, and one of the youth that I work with was at this activity, and it was where they they were on a hike um, for about three days. They would hike and then they would camp out. And one of the young ladies. Um, was talking with another young lady and the hike was getting uh, very very uh, heavy and and tiresome and so one of the young ladies decided she was going to go ahead and and do something to distract them from the fact that they were physically fatigued and hot and so what did she do she went ahead and said hey let's sing a song and about half of the girls said yes let's sing a song so they all started singing well you had this other young lady who Everybody sees that this other young lady holds a belief that, that if you ever make me, she holds this exact belief, if you ever make me unhappy, then you are rude. 
If you ever contradict me, then you're just hateful, you know, and that, that absurd, asinine way of thinking, which is, no, uh, you can't disagree with me or show something that might contradict my viewpoint. Otherwise, you're mean, you're rude, you're the problem. And instead of saying, maybe there's another viewpoint that I ought to consider. You know, this was the foundation of the Ku Klux Klan was, hey, African-Americans, people of color are not as good as white people. And anybody who says anything different, I refuse to let you listen. Well, that's terrible. I would say it's equally terrible anytime we aren't willing to hear another side. Doesn't mean we have to accept it as valid, but if you're not willing to hear it, then you are just the same as those terrible people. Well, how did this young lady who, who has been raised and still holds this belief, how did she respond when she said, hey, you guys need to quit singing, and they said, no. We're not going to quit singing. You're not in charge. You're a peer just like us. We're choosing to sing. We'll go ahead. And she actually picked up a handful of dirt and threw it in this other girl's face. Now, Later, they were talking about it, and the, and the youth leaders came and said, no, this is unacceptable, and they shut it down. Later, that young lady who thinks the rules don't apply to her, even though she's unaware that, that she acts this way, said, yeah, but it worked, so it was worth it to me. And what she didn't understand was, she was just giving implied permission to all these other girls saying, if there's something annoying that's happening, you now can use physical violence to shut it down. This young lady didn't realize, she was clueless, that she had just now given the other girls permission to use physical violence to get her to stop something she didn't want to stop. And this young lady, may not surprise you, is one of the most known in this youth, youth group for being annoying and having people that do not enjoy being around her. Yet, she felt like she could use physical violence. Do you see the disconnect here? Do you see how that implied permission, if you use physical violence, they can use physical violence against you. You just gave them permission. If you bring up a topic of discussion, you just gave them permission to, to present, if they desire, conflicting viewpoints. And, and that right there, this young lady suffers with anxiety, depression, PTSD, suicidal thoughts, and does not make social connections. It's very difficult. This is one of the major things. And so we see some really, really visible examples of this. And the people have no idea that what they're doing is making a fool of themselves. We have um, over in, in Europe, there is a group of, of people who believe that their viewpoint's the only one and they refuse to hear other people. And so instead, they act out. And many of these people get so desperate when they become isolated, when people ignore them, that they start to lash out and, and use things of violence. One young lady went to a Van Gogh painting. It's called Sunflowers. And she splattered it with tomato soup. So she essentially was saying, destruction and violence, if, you, if I disagree with you, I get to use destruction and violence. But this same young lady then complained when the police came in and used a violent way of taking her down and said, how dare they do this? She literally had just given permission for this to be done and then wants to critique others for doing the very thing she did. Other examples of this were Monet's painting called Grain Stacks. A young man went and smashed potatoes on it. Priceless art, smashed potatoes, violently trying to destroy it, was mad once again when the police came and took him down because they weren't soft enough. How dare you be violent? Do you see the disconnect here? You gave implied permission for this to be acceptable. You don't get to have credibility 
and then act like something's there. Oh, how dare you treat me roughly and with violence? You lost all credibility. You gave permission and then wanted to somehow say it wasn't the same for everybody else. The rules apply to you the same as they do others unless you are in charge. Now, the last one was, and there are many others. Um, yeah, uh, there's one from uh, Mermir, um, and the name of the painting is Girl with a Pearl Earring. And a man actually glued his own head to this painting. You, you talk about this and they think they're doing this. And all three of these were eco, what, what people have, have, have named eco-terrorists. And essentially what their whole premise is, we should be able to do to you things that you're not allowed to do to us. The rules are different from me than they are for you. And you can see how absurd and asinine this is. Well, as they do that, there's tons more examples, right? And it's not just these left-wing eco, the right-wing also are gonna have the same thing. So why would that be the thing that attracts a narcissistic man or a woman? Well, in order to understand that, you just have to understand narcissism. Narcissism, people, people have used and bastardized the term narcissism today. And what they, what they mean to communicate is, this person did things that made me unhappy. And they'll, they'll just say, that person was a narcissist. And essentially what they're saying is, I hate that they did not agree with me. I hate that they wouldn't see my way. Because when we get right down to it, we'll talk about the narcissism and they lack all the things with true narcissism. They'll have a couple of those little things, but they lack true narcissism. And th what they're trying to communicate was, I hate that they wouldn't see it the way that I see it. And it made me feel terrible that they would never accept my way. I couldn't convince them. So what is a true narcissist? A true narcissist is somebody that when they look at themselves, the true heart of hearts, and they get right down to it, they are disgusted with themselves and they feel like they have accomplished nothing and would be completely unworthy, unlovable. These people, when they look in the mirror, are based on a foundation of utter discontempt for themselves. And they think if anybody saw what I see on the inside, they would reject me. And that is one of their biggest fears is that rejection. That fragility is the main thing. So if you're that fragile, what's one way that you, if you're that fragile, that you can enter a fantasy world in order to defend against what reality is showing you? Well, that is, I'm the greatest. And the thing that gets it is they're so fragile that they will actually defend against that and have no clue why, but what they're really doing is unconsciously, they're defending against anybody that makes them see reality. These are gonna be the people that, that give you a one-star review if you're a good mental health practitioner that helps them face the fears and overcome it. And then later they'll give you a five-star as they change that and they realize they, they were the problem. But early on they won't. And so narcissists, in order to defend against having to face what they fear, which is other people knowing just how pitiful and terrible they are, they will actually then create a facade of how great they are. And they will attack anybody who points out anything that shows that they are not great because it, it causes a danger where they might have to face their fear that they're not, a, they're not as good as this pretend world they've created. Thus the reason many of my narcissistic patients will lecture me on psychiatric issues. And they're not doctors. 
They haven't done a psychiatry residency, and they haven't studied every day for 17 years like I have. Yet they're lecturing me. They will tell me what bipolar is and isn't. They will tell me what narcissism is and isn't. They will tell me what will and won't work in psychotherapy. Even though if it had worked, would they really need to come in and see me to get to an, a better level? Doesn't make any sense. That's what narcissism is, is this baseline. So those are people who can't face reality or and the thing that they can't face big time because it would bring in reality would be contrary views that might show that they were wrong. And now they're facing, I couldn't even get that right. Holy cow, I can't even get that right? That must mean I'm even worse than I thought I was before. I'm even more useless than I thought I was before. See how dangerous that could be to somebody who doesn't recognize their, their own strengths? So narcissism, well, what is shared with people who can't hear contrary views, even though they may not be able to use the things that they actually do well in order to bolster them up and, and, and keep themselves feeling acceptable and worthwhile, they will try to use a counterfeit of saying, look how special I am. Narcissists have to use a counterfeit of saying, look how special I am. That way I never have to face the reality of what I do well mixed with the reality of what I'm terrible at. That's where narcissism is. I'm too fragile to handle either that. So I have to make a false view that I'm competent in areas where I'm, where I'm really not. And a, another false view that, that um, I'm special and I am going to defend and lash out at anybody who provides examples that I may not be the best in all these areas where I'm creating a false view. And, and you've seen, a, it's just the opposite of a confident person. A confident person says, oh, you bet I'm terrible at this, but I'm really good at this, these things. And that's what makes me worth, worthwhile. And so the difference there. So narcissists will use this pretend competency and being wonderful as something to put up a wall so they never have to face what scares them to death because they're too fragile. But likewise, those people who, who, who have struggles with implied permission, they will also put up a wall against contrary views, but these tend to be people who can accept that they're not perfect, but they share with that. And in fact, oftentimes they'll be self-depreciating, meaning I will tell you I'm even worse than is reality. I'm going to go to the other end and say, I'm terrible. There's nothing good about me. Either way, just like a narcissist, I'm not recognizing some of my strengths and balancing that with the weaknesses and then working on the weaknesses. And so what do we see there? We see that if the one person is seeking somebody that's not going to make them face reality, guess who they're going to attract? Other people who are going to want a way to avoid facing reality. So this, whether you're the self-deprecating person who says, no, I'm not good at it, and then can't make social connections because you can't hear contrary views, or whether you're the one who says, I'm special and still can't hear the, the, the contrary views and can't tolerate the idea of implied permission, which is a foundation to all societies getting along, you're in the same boat. The only difference is whether you're going to talk bad about yourself or talk about how special you are. Either way, that's the difference between a narcissist and I don't know the name of the other one. Uh, they would call them uh, many times there's are individuals who struggle with borderline personality disorder 
or dependent personality disorder or some different disorders. Antisocial personality disorder is in there too. But you can see how it's the same foundation to both of these. And so we tend to attract people who are similar to us. There's many differences, but our core coping is what we attract. So if you're somebody who cannot tolerate contrary views and you somehow want to eliminate implied permission from life, which secret is impossible, implied permission is required for all people to get along and have healthy relationships. So if you're trying to eliminate that, you are going to suffer from not having connections you need to avoid anxiety, depression, even suicide, and the only people that are going to be willing to tolerate you are other people with the same, and they tend to be a narcissist, always loves to find somebody who is a self-depreciator. And a self-depreciator loves to find a narcissist. So they complement each other very well and will enable each other to neither one have to, have to, um, have to face implied uh, implied permission and and neither one of them will so they're, therefore they're not going to have to ever face contrary views and if they do they they're they're both going to justify why they get to lash out or or blame the other person as being unkind or claim it's somehow out of line with religious values and ignore evidence even though experts and everybody else can see that the, the evidence is there and so you can see why immediately that narcissistic person and that self-depreciating self-depreciating person are going to be attracted to each other. And then what's going to happen? You're going to see them. They're so focused on, on their, their fantasy, that facade that they've created, that then they're going to blame anybody who made them uncomfortable as being unkind. And instead of attacking the actual issue or the problem, they're going to attack the person. It's a, it's a clear, clear, obvious thing and we see it on and and it's it's in fact it's so common today it's get, becoming so common look at our news stations we no longer want to present both sides contrary views and allow you to consider which one it is because they know that would force many, many people to face what they don't want to face so instead what do they do the news stations present one-sided so that you never have to experience the discomfort of realizing the other side might have something valuable to say. And they further perpetuate this. So if you watch the news stations, isn't it curious that one of the major tactics I do is I say to my depressed, anxious, suicidal, or patients that have trouble with implied permission, as long as you're working with me, I'm going to recommend you do not watch any news. Turn it off. And they huff and they puff, and the ones who do it come back saying, I feel a lot better. And they tend to start to be open to other things, and then we can progress. And so, so what it really comes down to is, as you look at this, if you want to attract a narcissist, that's easy. Stop other people from sharing things with you. It would be critical of what you're doing, because that's contrary to what you think is best. Stop them from, from giving other viewpoints and, and identifying the, the positive in a viewpoint that you don't agree with. You know, I, I, I give the simple example. I think Hitler, Adolf Hitler, was an absolutely terrible person. There, there, he is an evil, evil man. And he had many evil people that supported him. But he did some fantastic things. Much of medical knowledge today is thanks to Hitler's unethical medical practices. Do you enjoy your highway system? Hitler 
is the one who created the Autobahn that we use today. How about your, your jet airplanes? Do you enjoy jet airplanes and the, the fast travel we have? Thank Hitler for that. He's the one that put that in the mainstream. How about communications, your cell phones, all that type of stuff? Hitler was the first one to start doing advanced communication that eventually led to the space race that gave us cell phones and all these other communications. Hitler did a lot of great things. And I can recognize that without having to say he was a great guy. He was a terrible dude. He was as evil as it gets. But not everything about him was evil. I'm able and do my best to be able to see the positive and the negative and still come to the same conclusion. I can hear people disagree with me and still love it. When I was in Afghanistan and I'm there and I'm out there uh, fighting in a war, front line, guess what? I was extremely conservative. I only had that one viewpoint at the time. Guess what one guy, a captain that I was with, who was a flaming liberal who fought right alongside of me. Guess what happened? He ended up sharing things, and I learned a lot of valuable perspectives from the left, the liberal side, and I was right. And guess what it helped me do? Helped me move to the middle, to where I'm not afraid to hear both sides of the story before making my own conclusions. And guess what that did? He and I became great friends, and politically and religiously, we do not agree on almost anything. And I would give that guy a hug every time I see him. He's wonderful. He taught me about rugby. I didn't know what rugby was. And this guy was a, a great rugby player, professional rugby player. I still, to this day, would love to go out and have dinner with him. It would be great. We could even talk politics. We'd still be friends. We could talk religion. Still be friends. I'm not afraid to. But what it is, is if I bring up religion, I have given implicit or implied permission for him to critique my views. He gets to be critical of me. I gave him that permission by bringing up the topic. If I hadn't, then he would have a requirement to say, can I bring up a new topic with you and get your permission that we talk about this? And then I'd be able to say, no, I don't want to talk about politics. No, I don't want to talk about religion. But if I bring it up, I need to recognize because I brought it up, I gave them permission to critique me. I gave them permission to give a, another thing. I don't have to accept that what they said is true. I don't have to accept it as correct or valid, but I have to listen to it. And if I want any credibility whatsoever, I don't get to then critique them. And so the number one thing you can do to make sure that you are not engaging with a narcissist and are doing the best so that life and even if it's not the number one, this is still very potent. And make sure that life can't throw its stress at you and automatically have your anxiety turn on and overwhelm you. Or have life difficulties happen and not automatically go into a deep depression and not have trauma that happen because we're all going to have trauma and not automatically suffer with PTSD and be able to get past any suicidal thoughts. The number one thing that I would suggest starting with is simply realize if I bring up a topic, I just gave the person I brought it up to permission to critique it, to give a different perspective, or even say where I'm wrong. And I don't get to blame them as being unkind or unreligious or anything else. I gave them permission. I don't have to agree with them, but I don't get to say they are mean, unkind, or anything else. That's just asinine. And that shows somebody who does not understand what used to be elementary or middle school level social interaction. Isn't that sad? 
Many people today don't have the same social skills that our elementary kids or our middle school kids had years ago. And so that's one reason we're bringing it up. And so if you want to succeed, simply be willing to hear an opposing view. It's that easy. When you hear a speaker come to your, your college campus who has a differing view than you, be strong enough to hear their view and not have to lash out. Because you're making a fool of yourself if you do. You're showing the world, I'm too fragile to even hear it. And I'm going to use violence. And th the sad thing is, then you don't even realize you're living in a fantasy world versus reality. Reality is, we're not going to say the same thing and we're both good, pe good people. We can view things differently and both good people and even work together. That's the sad thing. Whereas the reality is, there's many people, especially the ones that work with us, that are now saying, I refuse to ever fall into the trap again of saying, I brought something up, but you're not allowed to give a contrary view. I recognize if I brought it up, I've now opened that door and I have to tolerate that. Otherwise, I'm going to have no credibility. I'm going to see, be seen as without, without credit or without uh, uh, being a reasonable person. And they have justification for it. It's a middle school or elementary school level skill. And for those that, those that uh, then lash out and run away, sadly, they're just showing how fragile they are. They can't. They haven't learned that middle school level. <laughs> so for the, for the rest of us, let's be mindful of that. If I bring it up, you have permission to then critique it, criticize me, anything like that. And I need to stay on it. The other tactic that you'll see, and we have to stop a lot of times in, in our marriage therapy is they'll say, hey, I bring up an issue and I say, I don't like this about you. And the, the other partner may be so fragile that they say, oh yeah, well, you know what you do? Do you notice what they did there? They're trying to shut down a conversation that might point out their weakness and it might be contrary to what they have believed in their fantasy world, in that imaginary world they've created. And whether it's a narcissist or a self-deprecator, it doesn't matter. They each are trying to live in this fantasy world and lash out at anybody who does this. So instead of saying, oh yeah, well, you know what you do? Here's the better thing to say is, you might be right. Could we please put on the table? Next, I'd like to talk about this after we've done that. So please, once again, what was your point that you made? Letting them know, we will talk about it, but I'd also like to talk about this issue. But let's finish talking about the one that you want to do. The thing, the thing that is critical about me, I'm not going to be so fragile that I can't handle your view of that is contrary to my belief. And they talk about it, and then they do it. And then next they say, now it's my turn, could we talk about my issue? And they do that. And so they quit doing what we call deflecting, which is you do this thing and it's frustrating. Oh yeah, well you want to know what you do? Automatically, don't focus on me, I'm too fragile to be able to focus on me. See how that works? See how not being willing to hear another contrary view is actually attracting narcissists to the self-deprecators. And so as I hear people say, they came out of a relationship with a narcissist, I immediately say, in order to help this wonderful person who is probably a self-deprecator, I need to help them to be able to feel safe enough to be able to start to allow contrary views and criticism and realize it's not a bad person just because they do this. That doesn't, it also means they don't get to do it in an unkind manner. There is a kind manner to share criticism of somebody. And that should also be an expectation. But that is the big thing. So if you find yourself consistently unable 
to work with other people when they have contrary views. Or you find yourself in relationships with narcissists. Realize that is the single first step I would look at in order to help you to throw those chains off you and start to enjoy the good life where you get to connect with others who are completely different and be able to start to enjoy the richness of different cultures and different people and different races, different foods, different traditions. It's such a wonderful world and those people who can't handle contrary, uh, contrary viewpoints and refuse to accept that implicit permission exists, they miss out on all these wonderful things. And wouldn't it be a tragic, depressing, and anxiety-ridden life to where it, it would start to seem reasonable to try to kill yourself, to get away from it, if you were shackled to that? Don't let them do that. Instead, be open to other perspectives. You don't have to agree, but you should be able to consider them. If you can do this, here's what you should be able to come to me. You could come and say, Dr. Watson, I totally disagree with Hitler. He is a bad man. But I can tell you all the reasons that somebody might think he was a good man, too. I don't, I'm not going to conclude he was a good man, but here's the, the argument from the other side. If you can do that, you're going to enjoy the wonderful wealth of differences out there that make it so neat to be part of this world. And it's such a happy place when you do that. And it's such a miserable place when you want to deny implicit permission and not face things that might be critical or contrary. Okay? So with that being said, go out there, start doing that, watch for it, and then start enjoying the wonderful life and the new people you're going to meet. It will overcome racism. It will overcome sexism. It will overcome bigotry or any of the other things that are terrible. And you will start to find that you can love people and they will love you back because you will have that ability to connect socially. And that will be the start of healing from anxiety, depression, PTSD, suicide, any of these things, or even heal from a narcissistic relationship. All right, you guys take care and we'll catch you on the next one.